Please join me. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very And so as this beautiful song is just expressed, I invite you in this moment to be still. Notice your breathing. Let your shoulders relax. Let any area of your physical body that is hanging on to anything, just simply let it go. Perhaps it is your jaw, your shoulder blades, the middle of your back your legs, whatever it may be. And breathe into that area if there's discord or distress there. What I know about the breath is the breath, as the Hindus would say, is the Brahma, the breath of God. So as we welcome the presence into our lives, the breath is an eternal cycle of giving and receiving. So let us in this moment receive an amplified expression and experience of the sacred and the holy that lives within each and every one of us. And knowing that our body takes in exactly what it needs, fulfilling its intended purpose of sustenance and health and balance and vibrancy and releasing anything unlike the finest possibilities, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Let us Come together today and affirm and know that with each breath we become lighter, clearer, more buoyant and available to the presence of that holy and sacred space that lives within each and every one of us. And so in gratitude and appreciation, in gratitude and appreciation for clean air today, cool breezes, and this beautiful, glorious day here in Edmonton, I just give thanks, knowing everything is in divine right order for each and every one of us, that as we are here gathered in community and connection and recognition of the oneness of life, that this beautiful presence is having its way by means of us. All that is required is our welcome and our agreement. And so for this, I give thanks, invite you to say with me, and so it is. And lovely to sing that song once again with our choir here today. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, ladies, for being here. And so talking this month about faith and talking about evolving consciousness, which talking to my prayer partner last night, he said, well, that's pretty wide open. I said, yeah, you got to leave it wide open. But for us, faith is quite a, a fascinating thing. Uh, our tradition, what we stand for as a spiritual community. And for us, one of the things that I think is most beneficial in understanding you know, um, the sacred text upon the planet, 
you know, the, the Christian Bible or the Muslim Quran or the, uh, the, or the Jewish Torah, you know, the, the first five books in the, in the Old Testament. But all of the um, descriptions in there at, at the level that I think is most beneficial requires to look at it as metaphor. And metaphor is, is uh, the idea that what we're reading is not literal. That literalism is the lowest level of understanding possible. So when we interpret the scripture literally, we're missing all of the, the wonderful things that are upon it as well as uh, within it. And, and that comes from, I'll, I'll speak to that in a moment where that comes from, but, so it's, but it's just good, I think, to understand that, you know, um, that, that all, of the, all of the characters in sacred text are us. They represent us, they represent qualities, they represent the metaphors of possibility, they, they represent many things other than, you know, uh, uh, you know, this idea of a talking snake. Was there really a talking snake? And, and, and no, but what does that represent? What does the snake represent? And what does the communication represent? So all of this to see beyond that so that the richness of it can be interpreted in a, in a more meaningful and impactful way. So faith, really, I think, activates that space within us where there's something that is holy and something that is sacred. And all of us have had those experiences. Now, for each of us, it may be different, but, but it's that kinesthetic experience of the divine. It's that, that, that experience larger than life. And it can, it can come over us in, in some of the most peculiar places at times. But it's always available. I love the lavender. I, was, I spoke about the lavender this morning, you know, and, and this idea that, you know, I, you or I could not grow this or create this. But something does. Isn't that amazing? All that is required if we want to grow lavender or have lavender in our lives is either buy the seeds or find a gardener that's got some going already or whatever it may be. And that's a beautiful thing is that what we, what we get to do is tend it. We get to plant the seeds of whatever it is that we'd like to experience. And then we take care of it and we nurture it. But we don't have to get up there and every day, I don't have to get up and go, I'm growing lavender today. Leave me alone. I'm on this. You know, it could be exhausting. But so many people live life that way, trying to control things or influence things they have no control over. That's a, that's a trap for our teaching because, you know, you come in and you say, I'm going to say my affirmative prayer and I'm going to take control of my life and I'm going to direct it and I master time, space, and dimension and then things go sideways. It's like, what happened? This stuff doesn't work. Well, consciousness always precedes experience. It does work. But it's the subtleties and the understanding of that because we can be so impatient. You know, I have a lifetime of, of, of uh, discounting myself and my abilities and everyone around me and everything in the world and now I want it all to change in a week. You know, I worked with one of the practitioners. We said a prayer on Sunday, and life's still terrible. But we've spent a lifetime establishing ourselves in the status quo of consciousness. So faith involves, and I talked about last week about certitude. I'm not talking about certitude here that we have all the answers, but faith involves total conviction, that we grab hold of an idea, and all of a sudden we start to, to, to cultivate the seeds of that possibility so that we can grow a crop that would look something like what we've, the seeds we've planted. It requires us to embody an idea, to embrace and embody an idea, an idea that we take into our hearts that's precious to us, that we're, we're, we feel called to address. Empowered thought thickens into form, into things. So over time, with practice and nurturing, what we empower becomes our experience. 
And so where we've ever come into agreement with certain things in our lives, well, we'll have more and more of those, that experience until we change that. And it's part of it's a mystery. So what happens with, um, and Dr. Ernest Holmes was greatly influenced by Ralph Waldo Emerson, so I wanted to share an Emerson quote with you. And the Emerson quote is, we lie in the lap of immense intelligence, which makes us receivers of its truth and organs of its activity. And when we discern justice, when we discern truth, we do nothing of ourselves but allow passage to its beams. We lie in the lap of immense intelligence, which makes us receivers of its truth and organs of its activities which really requires some receptivity, some openness, some, some possibility of it even showing up in our awareness. And then when we're in that space, when we're in that, that receptive mode of be, we become the outlet. Emerson used to say become the clean, hollow vessel because he understood this. But how did he get there? How do you get there when, you, when you're where you are in life, where, we're, where we, we start out and how do we make the journey to that? Because you, you don't just leap to this. You don't just get up one day when you're in you know, grade one and all of a sudden, you, you know, you, I mean, I think children understand it in, uh, inherently. But then what happens is life and people with opinions and the race consciousness and the cultural conditioning shows up. You know, uh, Dr. Ken Gordon, uh, one of his congregants was here this morning and I told one of his stories and first thing she said to me going out the door is I'll go back and tell Dr. Ken you're telling his stories I said well you do that because I know he's telling mine over there in Kelowna but but Dr. Ken said that he was um, when he was first started the church in Kelowna his little boy Mackenzie was in like grade one or two and he had this playmate and so his playmate's dad came over one night to pick the little boy up his son Um, and so the dad came in and said, what do you do for a living? And he said, well, I'm a minister. He said, well, what do you, church are you a minister of? And he said, well, Church of Religious Science. And while he was describing this to the, the little boy's, his son's playmate's father, his wife, Deborah, Dr. Deborah, was in the kitchen and he could see her behind the man and she's going. <laughs> and so after, after the dad and the little boy left, she, he said, what's up with that? He said, oh, they're very, very conservative, traditional in a different uh, faith-based community. And so, you know, I just, I didn't want you to say too much. And so the little boy went to school the next day. Mackenzie went, their son went to school. And and so Deb, mom said, uh, so Mackenzie, how was your day at school? Good, good. Did did Jimmy say anything about his dad? Did his dad say anything? He said, yeah. He said at school, um, Jimmy said, my dad says I can't can't, uh, play with you anymore. And he said, well, why? He says, well, because your dad thinks he's God. And Mackenzie said, my dad doesn't think he's God. My dad thinks your dad's God. (laughs) What a great answer for a little guy, you know? I mean, because if we walk around, I mean, so what happens for us, let's go to this next slide, how this dovetails into this. We We are practical mystics. And a mystic is not a psychic. A mystic is simply someone that understands at a deep, deep level that their life is far grander than just the form, the rational mind. It's, it's, there's something, there's a sacredness and a holiness within all of life. 
and it starts with us. But we have to get some, a foothold in that. And so what happens, and I was inspired uh, by a, an, uh, a podcast that was pointed out to me by uh, Darren and Teresa Griffin of uh, R- Father Richard Rory's Franciscan. And I, I just adore this guy. He's written some wonderful, amazing books. And I've used several of them over the years, and then I heard this podcast. And he was talking about his own journey. And he was talking about his, a, a Franciscan priest is what he is. Um, and he said that the great thing about being indoctrinated in that tradition, and I come from that tradition, and I'm, I'm grateful for it and all that I learned and all that it guided me to, but you get um, the first step in any tradition is you construct. We all get constructed in a tradition, hopefully, have something that gives us a foundational piece of where we start. This idea of God and spirituality and worship and connection and doing the right things is we all need that fun, fundamental piece of where we get constructed. But he said the great thing about when he was going through seminary was the first four years they never looked at liturgy. They never looked at scripture. They just looked at philosophy. They looked at ways to approach things and think about things. So that was for the first four years before they got into any of the scriptural stuff so that they could see scripture not with the rational mind. Because what the rational mind does, it lives in duality. The rational mind we have to have, otherwise we don't get here. I've gotten into my car sometimes after a meditation or service, and the next thing I know, I'm in a part of town, I don't even know where I'm going. I say, what happened? You know, because you missed the turn. I've been coming up here, I'm so used to coming here that if I'm going somewhere else, I usually get halfway here before I turn around and go to where I'm actually going. That's how it works for me, because I'm, I'm not in my rational mind, and the rational mind will tell you there's duality. As a carpenter, duality is if you're building a 10-foot wall, if you're framing a 10-foot wall, and you've got six-foot-long two-by-fours, I don't care how much prayer work you do, you're not going to be able to effectively build a 10-foot wall. You're going to have to go buy 10-foot two-by-fours. See, that's six-foot's not enough, 10-foot's the right length. Good. But that's, the, that's that discernment of good and not good, right and wrong. We all have to have that. You couldn't get here without it. You'd still be out there driving around. There's probably a bunch of people right now out there driving around, having the God experience. <laughs> but then there are those moments. So you have to have the construct. But what the, the, the constructs of that do, and we see this in many faith-based traditions, and I talked about it last week when I talked about certitude. Conviction and certitude are two different things. What certitude comes from is with the conservative uh, viewpoint that I got, my, this is my faith-based tradition right here. This is what I was taught as a child. This is what I got in Sunday school. This is what I got in school. This is what I got from my parents, my community. This is what I believe, and this is what I'm going to carry forward. And it's a, it can become a trap. Because what happens is the activity is to continue to, to establish the egoic grounding in that. So our egos need that. I'm right, you're wrong. I mean, we see it with, with what's happening with gay marriage in the United States. We see it, and there's always, years ago, I remember when Obama became president, and he actually apologized to the rest of the world. He actually stood up and said, I'm very sorry that the things have happened in the world that we have created, some bad things. And I thought, wow, isn't that, isn't that a gracious way to say hello? This is who we are. And people that were stuck in this, you know, we are the United States of America, we're the finest country that's ever been, we're the greatest in the world, and how dare you apologize to anybody? That's traitorism. You know, you're a traitor to the country and what we hold precious. It's like, oh my God, but that is that entrenched position. We're right, you're wrong. 
My friend Norm Bouchard, I've been excited about him. In the, he's in Colorado Springs. He went into this amazing church, and it's very similar in size to, to our community. And he went in a couple years ago, and they just sold their building. They sold it in a week, and they, went, they found this great, great uh, new church they're going to move into, and, and it's all happening really fast. And so they're getting ready to move, and they made the negotiations. They had a great amount of price, and they came to the 12th hour where everybody's going to sign the document so this could happen. And this faith-based tradition just said, nope. We're not selling it to a group like you because you don't believe and teach what we teach and believe. And so, you know, and like Norm said to me, I talked to him yesterday, he says, you know, it just reminds me I live in a bubble. He said, and what he did with his leadership, he brought him in after this happened and he said, okay, we all need to process this. So if you want to use words that you wouldn't normally use in front of your minister, you're free to go ahead and do that. And so they all got a chance to talk about their heartbreak and disappointment and how betrayed and all this on and on and on. They says, great. Anybody else have anything else they need to share? Nope. Good. Let's move forward. Because he understood to gloss over it and not let people process it, he carry it with them. Let's clear the energy. Let's clear this experience. And let's move forward. And when I talked to him yesterday, he said, yeah, an even sweeter opportunity showed up. I said, see the way it works? There's this divine intelligence that's guiding and directing. But if we stay so entrenched that our way is right and their way, or all of a sudden that becomes the battle. Look at what those guys did to us. That's not Christian. All this blame and shame. It's like, ah, let them have their beliefs. Bless them. Declare victory and move on. Hallelujah. So when we trust that presence, it keeps us free. You see how resentment can just keep us trapped, trapped, trapped. Or we go to the other side. We construct and all of a sudden, and then the next step is we got to deconstruct. So if you're on this journey, you got to construct. I grew up in this tradition. Wait a minute, I'm going to take it apart now. I don't believe all the things they told me. I don't believe in a, in a talking snake. I don't believe that anybody that, is not, that does not worship Jesus as Lord and Savior is going to burn in hell forever. On and on and on. All those things, that do, do they work? Those work for many people, but they may not work for you. How could this loving God punish? I mean, Jesus taught in parables. I love the, the prodigal son. The prodigal son is such a great story. Here you are, you take all the money, you say, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Go out and party and hard and just come away on road hard and put away wet. Just can't, and dragging himself back into the, you know, up the road and the dad sees him coming and says, slaughter the, the finest calf, he's come back. And the other son has been there working hard every day, says, what's this all about? What are we having a party for him for? I'm back here working all the time and I... So-and-so's been out wasting and, and partying, and what's that all about? But see, Jesus, see, and what that is, that's, that's a man's mindset. The reason that religions have become so polarizing is because men have been in charge of it. Because with guys, you, t- you, get, you know what? I love John Maxwell's story. He says, you know, why, why do you guys go bowling? in a men's bowling league. He says, oh, we just love to get together and talk. Just get to, we just love to get together and talk and hang out. He says, okay, great. He said, let's have bowling, but we'll take all the pins out. And you guys just throw the ball down an empty alley over and over and over again. <laughs> See how much fun that's going to be for you. And just get together and talk. No, because men got to have a winner and a loser. Oh, my gosh. Whew. Men got to have the winner. We had our tribes. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't have, we have our armies, but now we have our tribes. There are sports teams. Holy cow. It's amazing. But that's the, male, man, the man's mindset. Women don't do that. All these ladies are up singing, collaborating, beautiful. They're like angels. I'm like, I'd love to see if guys could get together and do that too. 
how would the guys turn it into something competitive so we got a winner and a loser? So our tradition is the best right here because we love Jesus more than they love Jesus. <laughs> really? Okay. Yep. Or we're over here, and, 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 and so when we dis- deconstruct it, we become so smart, we become so intelligent, we're, we're intellectually superior to those idiots that believe in the literal interpretation of the Bible. And it's neither one of them. I mean, when we were in Toronto, one of the ladies says, really, Joan Borisenko got up and talked about her relationship with the Dalai Lama. And she said, you know, I think the time has come for all of us to stop consuming animals. You know, an advocate for being a vegan and being a vegetarian. And, and passionate about it and sincere and devoted. And, and Joan Borisenko said, you know, I have to tell you that the Dalai Lama still eats meat. Because in the environment he lives in, it's impossible to grow enough vegetables to not eat meat. And so he's grown up that way. It's part of the culture. And he says, you know, I have to have meat to live. So it's very interesting how we can, you know, we can go so far over here, we should never eat, eat meat and all on and on. And, and that could become our cause. But once again, we become entrenched over here. The third step to it is to reconstruct, which is the third way of thinking. Reconstruction which is we take the, the, the beautiful things. See, as children, if we don't give children a box to play in, if we think, oh, they'll just figure it out on their own, kids are so egocentric. They'll do whatever they want because they're self-serving. Anybody ever been around a kid besides me? They want what they want, and they want it now, and it's all about them, and on and on and on. And what happens when we, when we have a chance to nurture children is to give them some, some boundaries. Because if we don't get boundaries as children, we become bullies, we become inappropriate, we become selfish. I mean, we're all in this together. There's something about having a child. We had a family here that's, you know, it was like a free-range kid, and he was all over the place. We'd, we'd see him running by the front of the church and back and forth and up and down the steps. And, and it, was, it was exciting, to say the least. <laughs> but, it, it, but, it, but what it did was it setting him up for, a, I think, a, a very challenging experience going forward. You've got to have a foundational piece to ground yourself in. That's part of what being a grandfather and being a father and a mother and a grandmother is too. Look, we're all in this together. And it's not about all about me, 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 me. But you, so you need that peace and then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, maybe some of this stuff I don't need. So I, why uh, Richard Rohr talks about reading other sacred texts because you don't come from it from the inside, you come from the outside and observe it. You go, wow, look at that, that's amazing. Look at, he's reading right now the Bhagavad Gita and the Gita says this, the Gita was written 2,000 years before Jesus. And what it says, I'll give you the cliff notes of what the Gita says. You must move beyond aversion and attraction. You must move from not get trapped in love and not get trapped in hate. Because what the mystic does, the mystical position, and this is the third eye. This is the third way of seeing things. Okay, it's not all over here in establishing and holding what is precious and has always been. And it's not also over here throwing everything away because everything over there is bad and wrong. It's seeing all of it from a different perspective of consciousness. That's the evolution of consciousness. That's the path we're on. So that when life comes at us and people come at us, and man, people will come at us, won't they? To to have the perspective to go, wow, look at that. I wonder what's going on in there. Holy moly. But to, but to be able to have a groundedness of being and, and to be able to honor that in the other person. Otherwise, it becomes a war. 
or we start to, we start to challenge and judge. So as people come, come towards us, or experiences come towards us, it's, it, it's, not, it's not that we are being punished by this arbitrary God. Because many times when life takes a, a, a turn we don't expect, the, 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 the conservatives will say, well, why would a loving God do this to me? And that's not how the infinite works. We're choosing all the time. We have expectations all the time. Father Roar says, expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. Expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. In other words, when we head in a certain direction, and, and, and then that direction doesn't happen the way we'd like it to happen, we suffer because we, we're not in control. We suffer when we don't feel we're in control. But we don't control the universe anyway. I don't control any of it. I control my response to it. I control certain things in my, the vicinity of my life. But for me to have expectations that, so I, have, so I show up today and I, I'm gonna, my expectation is based on fantasy that everyone that listens to this talk will be immediately uh, enlightened. And I stand at the back with a chipboard and ask everybody on the way out, who's enlightened? And everybody's not enlightened. I don't control that. Expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. And in in scripture, in this interview, it's beautiful. The, The interviewer says, yeah, that's why I love this. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And so once again, metaphor. Because if you're a conservative and you hear that, it's like, money's no good. I don't want to be rich. And what it is, what, what the teacher was saying was, when you're entrenched in your way of being, when you are so entrenched in your way of being, you can never move into the third way of seeing. And, and so you're stuck. You can't get there. So you can't get to, you can't get, see, no one can force us to love. Has anybody had any luck with that? Forcing someone that, that you're going to love me. By the end of this, Jim, you're going to be madly in love with me. We're going to talk about moving away and getting rid of the wives and you and I live together. For... <laughs> it doesn't work. You cannot enforce, you cannot enforce love. So when we stand in either camp without the, the middle way, as the Buddha talked about, you can't get there. You can't get there from this, this uh, forcing it to happen. And the rational mind, the problem is, see, we need our rational mind to function to get from A to B, to do our work. For engineers, we need to be able to measure and calculate and do the proper structuring so that it will hold and be strong. It's beautiful, it's given us science, it's given us medicine. The rational mind is amazing. But the rational mind cannot uh, cannot take us into the mystical. And so what happens to break us out of it, we suffer. We either learn through love or suffering. The Buddha said life is suffering. And once you understand it, wow, look at what's before me now. This is really uncomfortable, but if I'm grounded in my way of being, St. Augustine said, love God and do what you want to do. Great advice. Love God and do what you want to do. Because if you love God, you're going to behave in ways that you would probably wouldn't have. You know, I mean, the the, the whole thing is he understood if you're immersed in love of spirit, of love and beauty, you're going to be living an extraordinary life in service to humanity. Do what you want to do. But you've got to have that love established. But the, the rational mind can't get you there. See, the rational mind cannot process love. The rational mind can't process suffering. It can't process death. I mean, death is one of the, the great sorrows of life. We lose someone that we love and adore. 
And so, it, it cre- and so that creates that, because why we suffer is so we'll wake up. On, and, 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 and so if we think it's all going to be love and it's all going to be fairy dust and pixie dust all the way along, no. Because we're going to have to unravel some of these entrenched beliefs that don't support the greater yet to be. But the great thing to know is that all of this stuff has come for us. All of this stuff has come for us to grow us and stretch us and expand us. And it's through heartbreak and disappointment and betrayal. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. If, if there wasn't Judas, we wouldn't have Christianity. If Jesus had waved his magic wand and said, it's all working out, it's all, you know, we're going to tiptoe to the tulips forever, no. His, the whole metaphor of his life was giving his life in service to this divine presence that he stayed so deeply connected with. And the amazing thing about his story is, is one of the things that, that he didn't buy into, because he could have said to him, look, I know this bad thing is going to happen. They're going to be coming for me, and I'm probably not going to get through this in one piece. So I want you guys, after I'm gone, you write down all the names of the people that punished me and, and take care of them. Go get them. Go get them. I mean, that's what's such an odd story. It's amazing that he's so popular. He's unique in history because he didn't buy into that idea of re- uh, redemptive violence. Father Rohr talks about the movie Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. You know, they go to kill this guy and then they got into trouble and his friend's killed, so he goes into town and he kills them all. We love movies like that. There's excitement in it and he's got to get the bad guys. And it's so clear. It's like, this is good. This is bad. Oh, man, this is great. Got him. But that's that, that's that men's mentality. Loser, winner, punish. He didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that. Which is interesting. Because what he taught was forgiveness. He taught love. But the mindset out there, why are all these wars going on? Is that violence will redeem the world. And it doesn't. Violence takes us nowhere but to more violence. There's a, the great path to transcendence. It's love or great suffering. We walk, we walk this path together. So, as Richard Rohr suggests, what if we just accept what happens as if we chose it? Wow, I got this, I got this physical discord going on. Wow, I chose this. Wow, I had a financial setback. I chose this. To grow me. To not be victimized by it, but to go, well, look what I brought into my experience. God and I are partnering in this. There's this divine presence and intelligence. You know, if you would proclaim yourself the light of the, I'm the light of the world, as Jesus would say. These things I have done, you shall do an even greater. And then all of a sudden, all these things show up. It's like, wow, I chose this. Because I said, I want to burn away anything unlike what I just chose. So what if I chose all this? I chose to be lost here. I chose to be confused right now. Nelson Mandela's story is quite a beautiful story. He was convicted and put in prison for life. And he did 26 years of that. And what he said he did in prison, he said, I learned to work with my mind because that's all I had left. Because they put him in prison for life and they said, we're going to put you to work at hard labor for the rest of that. And, you know, his story is legendary. He said, I learned to work with my mind, and the mind is the greatest freedom, and the mind is the greatest prison. We get to choose. And so when we can step into the third way and realize, wow, let life come at us. 
let people come at us in situations. You know, I was reading something on the internet right now that, you know, the economy didn't grow and it looks like we're going into recession and on and on and on. It's like, we're, you know what, what are we going to do? Well, let's just do what we've always been doing. You know? It's, it's, it's like, we'll do what we need to do in the best way we can. And you know what? We're all going to get through it. We will. So, Mandela, the, the, his autobiography is The Long Walk. He said the first thing he did when he was in prison, he was in the mindset, it's not happening. I want to get out of here. It's not happening. And then he started to work with his mind. And he goes, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It can happen. He went from it's not happening to it can happen. Possibility, open the door a little bit. And then what he did is he grew, it will happen. And then he grew, it will happen to it's happening. And finally, it's happening right now. It's happening right now. And he lived in that. He planted the seed. He planted the seed of his freedom because he passionately believed in equal rights for all South Africans. That's what he was for. And he planted that seed. And he got to a point where he realized he didn't even have to be out of prison to nurture that and hold that. And he planted it just like someone planted this seed. Somebody set an intention to grow this beautiful flower. And this beautiful flower is a transcendent moment. Be still and know that I am God. And if you get, allow yourself to be captured by the intricacies and the, the beauty and the bees that came and pollinated it and the moisture it took to sustain it and grow it, and it's just, it's phenomenal. Then that becomes spiritual practice. So our stories, I talked about our stories last week and I want to revisit them this week because it's part of the, the uh, homework that I want to suggest to you. We talked about the old stories. The old stories are those stories we keep telling about ourselves over and over and over again until we're tired of them, until we get sick and tired of who we are and what we've told. And that leads to mold. Anybody ever experienced mold? It's old and it's wet and it's damp and, and it doesn't taste good if it's in your bread either. But they make penicillin out of it, so there's something good there. Or the cold. Those, those are the stories that have shut us down. The cold, our hearts will fold. So the old leads to mold. The cold, our hearts will fold. We turn within and we start to shrivel. Our souls start to die. Because there are things that happened to us where we got so beat up and so betrayed. And, so, and to continue to carry that with us it serves no one. Which is in the, and it, it closes us down, makes us smaller. Or the told. The way others scold us or talk about us or point at us and, and judge us and criticize us. What's told about us? And the best way through that is just to remove yourself from the fight. Remove yourself. Take a stand, but realize, yeah, I'm not fighting this fight. I'm going to remove myself from this fight. You can still take a stand. You just don't have to fight. I'm not engaging in that. I'm not even going to feel like I have to defend myself in this. But thank you so much for sharing. Because what it does, that which we give attention to amplifies. That which we appreciate appreciates. There's a lot of people on the planet that need a fight. You ever notice that? Man, if, and if they're done with a fight over here, they'll find a fight over there. I see it over and over again. I mean, it's a pattern. It's a way of life. And, and I, my experience is I can't change that for anybody. But I can choose or not to choose to participate in the fight. And then you get to the gold. And the gold is the story we write about right now. The gold is the thing, we, the seeds we plant today. doesn't matter what went before. It, 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 it aligns with the bold, so we can write those stories out. So our long journey, your long journey, my long journey, like Nelson Mandela's, 
today. This is part of the homework if you'd like to grab onto this. One last time, tell the story of the old. Just say, you know, I'm going to tell the story one more time. That's what Norm, Norm Bouchard did when, the, when the, the deal fell through on the church. Let's tell the story one more time. Everybody tell their story, and then we're done. We're moving forward. And there are probably people, I'm still telling the story. I'm telling you. And what I do is with my stories, I, I've, I have a story right now I keep telling too much. I keep saying this. Last time I'm going to tell this, I tell it, and the next half hour later, I'm telling it again. But I realize, okay, I'm, I'm getting closer to not telling it anymore, all right? And eventually I will, because I'll forget. One last time for the old. No more room for the cold, so I don't, I'm not carrying it with me anymore with this, these, these, these things that have been crippling, that have shrunk my heart. Remove yourself from the told. Remove yourself from the fight. You have good opinion of others, and be bold. Right from it's happening right now to enliven and embody the gold. And the gold is the story we write today, the intention, the seeds we plant today. And part of that is to understand where we find ourselves in the constriction, the construction of what's precious, the deconstruction, and then moving into that third way of seeing, which is part of why we call it the third eye, which is that activation of the pineal gland, which is our intuition, and living more and more in that space. Because the bottom line is you can't get there. We can't get to that third eye space with the rational mind. You cannot force yourself to have that experience. All you can do is be there. So it's not effort that the rational mind would say, take a left or right, a left or right, two more rights. Won't get you there. Because it's part of the mystery, it's part of the unknown, it's part of the grace, the beauty, the energetic of life. It's what grows the, the, the flowers. It's what animates all life. And then we become the outlet for that expression, wherever it may be. And my last thought is that we, we come together in community. The beautiful music, thank you again, ladies, for your beautiful music. We come together in community to practice being in this deep, constant, loving union. And we get to come together for a bit of time in community and practice that and entertain these higher thoughts, these higher ideas. And it's a beautiful thing. We don't have to force anyone to think a certain way, but we can inspire one another to shift the ways we think. We don't have to save anybody because we can't save anybody. And that's one of the traps. Let's get enough rules here and enough regulations and enough punishment and judgment and fear and shame, the fear of God. And that'll straighten people out. That, how's that working for us? It really is nurturing this garden of consciousness, this evolution of consciousness to look at our lives and, geez, I'm really entrenched in this idea. Or I'm over here in judgment because I'm so superior because I thought my way out of that. When in fact, it's both. So then we can look at our brothers and sisters upon this planet and go, oh yeah, that's those guys that, that hold this as precious and dear. And we don't have to take it apart. We don't have to dismantle it. We don't have to destroy it. We can bring awareness and understanding to it and love it for what it is. Because we, we need the balance, the polarities of this. And then there are people out here on the far, the far left, over here, or your left's over here, the far left that, that need to take it all apart. But it's the, it, the Buddha said it's the middle ground. It's the middle ground. So we get to practice that. We get to practice it here. And then eventually we take more and more of it out into the world. And then we give birth to what this beautiful teacher that said, you know what? I don't want any of you guys punishing anybody after I'm gone. Because life's eternal. And the suffering that is going on for all of us is to wake us up. 
And when we understand that, my experience with that is when I understand that my suffering is waking me up, I move through it much more effectively. I don't make it a way of life. I embrace what I'm learning from it. As I said last week, life is not about outcomes. Life is about experience. What has this shaped and grown in me? It's a beautiful thing. So thank you so much for joining us on this balmy day here in Edmonton, one of a few we have, and we'll see you next week. Blessings.